Good morning, beloved Orangewood. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to the psalm that Jack has been reading, Psalm 103. As we continue our sermon series, Worship by Design, the incredible good news of the Bible is that God has made you in His image. He's made you for Himself to to know and love Him and to, to worship Him and to be known and loved by Him. And it's such good news. As we make our way through some of the Psalms, we're realizing that not only are we created to worship Him, but as we gather corporately, we should be telling the entire story of the Bible. We should tell each element of how this helps us to worship our great God. And today, we will not forget some of His many benefits, that because of His rich, deep, everlasting love for sinners like you and me, He would send His Son, Jesus. And so, through Christ Jesus, we could have both peace with God and pardon with God. And that's such good news as we gather, knowing that we don't have to come here afraid. We come here loved in Christ Jesus. Well, I know one thing tomorrow, tomorrow's my day off, that usually means a Costco run for me, and I know what's on the top of the list, a new alarm clock. Anybody have an alarm clock that's like older than five years or something like that before the government made changes to daylight savings time? Anybody wake up thinking it was like real early this morning to remind, oh no, my clock fell back last night. That's not very nice, is it? I woke up and man, do I feel refreshed? Oh my goodness, am I late? But we made it. So this is your actually announcement that next week is daylight savings. Don't know about your alarm, but uh, make sure to fall back. Do you love falling back? How many people are have fall back and spring forward? How many people are fall back? Yeah. How many of y'all are spring forward? Go, go, go get help, will y'all? I mean, come on. Losing an hour of sleep, that's crazy. I don't know if you noticed, but last week there was the biggest storm in recorded history bearing down on Mexico. The Hurricane Patricia was making its way to Mexico coast. Category 5, they're talking catastrophic effects of winds of up to 200 miles an hour. Living here in central Florida, we know the effects that a hurricane can do, and certainly throughout our country, and a Category 5, holy shnikes, it barely made a whimper. By God's grace, uh, it hit the shore, very, very little impact, apparently. I don't think any loss of life uh, really did very, very little damage. But we know what storms can do. And there was actually a thunderstorm a while ago that forever changed my life. A thunderstorm that happened a long time ago that, that changed your life. A thunderstorm that I could tell you changed the course of history. What kind of thunderstorm was that? Well, it was July 2nd, 1505. And there was a young law student by the name of Martin Luther on horseback. And as he was making his way through hometown of Germany, he was caught in an incredible lightning storm. You ever been caught in one of those? I mean, he was caught in such a storm that, that he would start making those foxhole prayers and those vows saying, God, if you get me out of this, this is what I'm going to do. I mean, if you save me from this, I, I will give my life for you. As a matter of fact, as the storm raged around him, as literally a lightning strike came so close to him, he just felt like it was the wrath of God. He felt like that, that God was angry with him because he was a sinner. And that, that God was, was, was so angry with him that, that he's about ready to take him out. 
And so he starts pleading with God, saying, God, if, if you spare my life, I'll, I'll stop pursuing law, much to his father's chagrin, and I'll become a monk. I'll pursue you. I'll pursue religion. And he pursued uh, monkhood in the Augustian order, all the way to try to appease God. But something interesting happened to Luther. As he left law and he started pursuing God, and as he started pursuing religion, the more and more religious stuff he did, and the more stuff he thought, the, the more religious, then God will not be angry with me. And the more he became religious, the more he felt God's anger and God's wrath. He's like, how do I find peace with God? Because the more he tried to earn it, the less he felt he ever received it. It just didn't work. You see, the peace of God, you got to hear this. The peace of God is not something you earn or work for. The peace of God, it's a, it's a gracious gift of God. It's, it's one of those many benefits that the psalmist will say, don't forget this. The benefit that God gives us is he gives us God's peace, the peace of God. And it's all by his grace. None of us deserve it. None of us can earn it. And yet to his children, he lavishes it upon us. That was a peace that eventually Martin Luther would come to that conclusion. Although he became religious, he didn't earn it. He was actually reading in the Bible at the time. He had access to that, like few people did, being a monk. And as he was reading in, in the Gospel of, of, of Romans, or uh, uh, Romans 1, verse 16, he came across these words in Romans 1, 16 and 17. He read, For I'm not ashamed of the Gospel or the good news of what Jesus has done, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jews first and also to the Greek. For in it, in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Or from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What Luther couldn't do by trying to become religious what Luther couldn't do by trying to become a monk and, and pleasing God by, by moral life or doing the right thing, he all of a sudden discovered by God's grace through this gospel that God has given us a peace and even a righteousness of God through faith, through believing, by placing our faith and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, and the righteous shall live by faith. Another reformer named John Calvin once wrote, he said, Hell reigns where there is no peace with God. Let me repeat that. Hell reigns where there is no peace with God. What he was saying is probably the reality that many of us have experienced. That no matter what this world offers, no matter what this world can give us, no matter the treasures of the world, if we receive all of them, and yet we don't have a relationship with God, we don't have peace with God, it's really hell on earth. The world can't offer us peace that God can. On the flip side of that, no matter what the hell the world can offer us, the, the hell of life, the, the trials of life, whatever comes our way, we have in Christ Jesus a peace that surpasses even the darkest trial. It's incredible. It's basically saying this, listen, no matter where you are, no matter where you find yourself, on your darkest, worst day, when your nightmares come true, when life is just absolutely bottomed out on you, there's a peace that God wants to reign over you. There's a peace that God wants to give to you, even in the midst of that, that darkness. 
You know, as, as Calvin was right, that, that hell really exists where there's no peace from God. The, again, the flip side of that coin is heaven exists where there is peace with God, where, where God's peace is reigning. Think of heaven right now. I mean, everything is reigning peacefully because God is on the throne and all things are done according to his will and pleasure. And that's why we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because why? Where God rules and reigns, there's peace and there's joy. But there can be no peace with God unless there's pardon from God. I mean, the Bible tells us who God is, that he's a holy God. And that holy has a couple different meanings. One is he's separate, he's different. This, this God is not like us in a sense where he's eternal. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's, he's God. He's different than us. And yet he shares his attributes with us, and we are made in his image. But he's different than us, and he's holy. He's without sin. I mean, he, he is, he's so holy, there's no shadow of turning with him. His eyes are so pure, he, he can't even look on sin. He's different than us. So how can sinners like you and sinners like me have peace with God only if God provides pardon for us, pardon for our sins. You see, there's no peace with God if there's no pardon from God. And without the Prince of Peace providing it, well, we're, we're in trouble. But the story of the Bible, the good news of the Bible is this, is, is that how God himself, God himself is the one who, who promises us peace. And that's pretty amazing because he's the one that we offended. And yet he's the one who initiates our peace. And not only does God promise us peace, we see the story of the Bible as how God provides us peace. And it's pretty amazing how he provides it. If you haven't heard this story, you're going to have to hear it. If you heard it, you got to hear it again. Because the way God provides peace between God and man, it couldn't be more loving. It couldn't be a greater, bigger, more marvelous story than how he accomplishes that through his son, Jesus Christ. So let's look to God's word. We're going to look at, uh, at Psalm 103. We've, we've read and heard some of it this morning. We're going to read it again. We're going to look at verses 1 through 14. And then we're going to jump to 1 John 1, 9 and, and see what John tells us about a God who forgives us and provides peace uh, for us by forgiving us our sins. But let's be mindful of this. Whether we're reading the words of David that was inspired by the Holy Spirit in Psalm 103, or we're reading the epistle of John, that disciple that would lean on Jesus' side. These are all God's words. God breathed his very being into these words to, to give us his peace and to remind us of his pardon in Christ Jesus. Hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 103 of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. 
He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. This is so beautiful. Hear this. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love, this beautiful Hebrew word hesed, this covenant love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Let's turn to 1 John. 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us pray. Father God, we've gathered to bless your holy name. And we've gathered to remember that we cannot forget your many, many benefits that you've given to us because your word reminds us that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And oh God, the the gift and the benefit of, of having a relationship with you of knowing that, that the holy God who is, is in reconciliation and a relationship with us because of a work of your son, Jesus, that we could have peace and pardon with you. Oh God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come powerfully through the preaching of your word, that you'd speak through a broken sinner like me. That God, there would not be a soul here that doesn't remember Remember the many benefits that we receive because of your eternal love, that we receive through the work of your Son, that we receive through the power of the Holy Spirit. So God, come and be with your people. Come and give us ears to hear your voice. God, give us minds to understand your word. Give us hearts that would embrace your truth. Give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name. And God, give us hands that advance your kingdom. Anything that I say that is wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and that contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you use those very things to bring us peace and to remind us of pardon so that we could be more like your son, our savior, Jesus. And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. You want to follow along, you'll find an outline in your bulletin there. As the psalmist says, there's some things that we cannot forget. Forget not his many benefits. Forget not what, what God has done for you. Forget not what God has done for me. And the first thing we're going to see is this, is forget not that it's our God who initiates peace with us. It's God himself, the, the holy God is the one who who initiates that relationship, initiates that peace. The story of the Bible is that, is that God is the one who is initiated with us. God is the one who, even when we fell into sin, he says, I'm going to restore everything that is broken. It didn't take for us very long, according to the Bible, to rebel against God. In chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Genesis, God tells us how he created everything out of nothing and he created you beautifully and wonderfully to know and love him and to rule and reign for him, to walk with him in the cool of the evening. God created you for God. 
And when he looks at you, he sees himself. But just in that third chapter, we, we turned from him. We rebelled against him. We said, you know what? We're going to follow our own way. We're going to do our own thing. We, we want to be our own gods. We think we're better off without you. And that's what the Bible will describe as our, our fall from him and being driven out, driven out of that paradise and that, that relationship that we had with God. All of a sudden, we became afraid of God because of the fall. We didn't know if he was safe. We became afraid of God. We hid from him. And we hid from one another. And it was in the midst of that fall. It was in the midst of that separation. It was in the midst of that tragedy, the grace of God began to shine so beautiful. In the midst of that, God made a promise. And God made a promise that only God could make. And he says, I'm going to fix what you've broken. I'm going to initiate with you. Before you can even say, I'm sorry, I'm going to be the one who initiates with you and says, I'm going to give you a solution. In Genesis 3.15, he makes a promise of ascending a seed, one who will come, the seed that will come that will destroy all of God's and our enemies, the seed that will come that will conquer even death itself, the seed that will come that will crush Satan's head. God initiates with us and he makes that promise. Well, God not only makes a promise saying, you know what, I'm not going to give up on you, and he never does, by the way. Do you feel God gave up on you? God doesn't give up. God, in the midst of that tragedy, says, I'm, I'm going to initiate peace with you. But you have to understand this about God. Although he's the offended party, yet he's the one who still moves toward us. Yet he's the offended party, and he initiates with us. But because he's God, listen, he sets the stipulations. He says, if you want peace with me as my children, here is how it's going to work. God and God alone is going to be the one who says, this is the only way you'll find peace, and this is the only way you'll find pardon. And so he starts to tell us how. All right. I want to show you something really cool. And I want to show you something that's, that's something that you might not see when you first read the Bible that is amazingly marvelous. And it's going to sound kind of theological. And I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to lean in a little bit and just journey with me as I describe a little bit of the language of the Old Testament. And I got to tell you, I've been worried about doing this because I've been saying, God, this is so good and this is so rich and, and this is so important. But, but if this isn't done right, if this isn't empowered by the Holy Spirit, this could be Snoozeville. Because I want to talk to you about ancient Near Eastern suzerain treaties. Who's excited about that, you know? I want to talk to you about how the, the mighty kings of an ancient Near Eastern past dealt with those around them. Let me tell you why I want to tell you that. It's how God deals with us. You know how God is so wonderfully beautiful and so wonderfully the best communicator ever. Do you know that God communicates to us in ways we can understand? And do you know that God uses the language of, of our day to kind of describe who he is and how he works? And so when God wants to describe how he initiates with us, stick with me, hang in there. So God wants to initiate how, how he initiates with us and how he sets up these stipulations. He uses legal language from ancient Near Eastern kings that basically said, okay, we're going to have these treaties. We're going to have this peace, but here's how it's going to go about. And so the crazy thing about the Bible is if you look closely, it's the same language that the Bible uses. Every time that God enters into a covenant, covenant with, like Abraham, he's using this language. And I'm going to tell you what that is in just a moment. 
Matter of fact, when you get to like the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, it's incredible. He's, he's using the language of ancient Near Eastern treaties. The entire book of Deuteronomy, the entire book is outlined like an ancient Near Eastern treaty. Isn't that kind of cool? Why? Because God sets that qualification. But what really makes it cool is when we understand that. Because here's what's going to be important about understanding it. God not only initiates, he sets the parameters. And if you look at like Exodus 20, if you want to open it up, you can look there. I'm going to go through this quickly. Exodus 20, we're going to hear this ancient Near Eastern suzerain peace treaty language. There's always a preamble. There's always a preamble that will be a declaration of who is making this treaty. And who is it? It's our God. And he will say this, I am Yahweh. I am your God. He reminds us, listen, I'm going to come into relationship with you. I am your God. And there's always a historic prologue where this mighty king is going to tell you what he's done. And our mighty king is going to say, I am your God. And I am the one who led you out of slavery in Egypt. I'm the one who defeated Pharaoh and all the Egyptians. I'm the one who did this for you. This is this historic prologue so we can have confidence in this mighty king. And then there'll always be a general stipulation. And he'll say things like this. Have no other God before me. Have no other king. I am your king. I am your God. And then there'll be stipulations. It's a contract. All right? It's a peace contract. And he says in the Ten Commandments, so here are the ten stipulations. Here are the things you are to do to make peace with holy God. God is holy. Don't think for a minute that peace is easily accomplished. Don't think for a minute that peace comes without stipulations that you must do the things that God's required for you to do. Hang with me. And then after the stipulations, there's curses and blessings. Even at the end of Exodus 20, he will say, I am, if you break these things, if you break the law, if you sin, I'm a God who's visiting the iniquity upon the fathers of their children and children. He's basically saying this, if you break it, there's going to be hell to pay. And that hell is going to be separation from me. But he also makes a promise. He says, if you keep it, if you keep it, then I'll give you blessings. I'll pour forth blessings upon you. I, I, I will bless you like you've never been blessed before. So the first thing we see is this. God is the one who initiates peace with us. It's so gracious. But more than that, he's also the one who sets the parameters of peace for us. Let's think of the Exodus for a minute. When he talked about uh, that that, that great Exodus where he's going to rescue his people from slavery, he said, okay, the requirement is a sacrificial lamb. I want you to take a spotless lamb and sacrifice it. I want you to put blood over the doorpost. That's, that's the qualification. That's the stipulation that you got to do for me to pass over you. The first thing, our God is the one who initiates. The second thing, and we get to the good stuff. Okay, you got through it, right? You guys ready for the good stuff? You got the background now. Now, here's the good, incredible stuff. And that, that stuff's good too, but this is the unbelievably good stuff. Our God not only is the one who initiates peace with you. Listen, 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 this is so good. Our God is the instrument of peace for us. Forget not as many benefits. Not only does he initiate, he's the instrument of peace for us. Remember what I tell you over and over again. What God requires of us, God provides for us. You ready? Let's say it together. What God requires of us, God provides for us. 
And it's true even in this peace and pardon relationship that God himself is the instrument of our peace. You can't miss this. Peace is not something that we obtain. It's something that God does for us. He obtains it. All right. Remember those stipulations? We looked at the, the, uh, we looked at the Ten Commandments. Remember those stipulations? How many people can say, yes, I've kept all Ten Commandments? How many people can say, yes, I've kept them all? I've done it all the time. How many can say they kept one? I mean, continuously, we break them over and over and over again. One of the reasons God gave us the law is to show us we need a Savior. We are so broken. We don't love God the way we should. We don't love one another the way we should. We covet. We cheat. We steal. We lie. We're broken. What God requires of us, God provides for us. So guess what God provides? He provides one born of a virgin, so he's sinless. He provides his own son, who, you ready for this? Who will come and live the life we should have lived. All the stipulations that a holy God requires of us to have peace with him, Jesus comes and fulfills all the stipulations, all of them. There's not one jot or tittle that he doesn't complete for his father's glory. Jesus meets the stipulations of holy God, but there's more. Does he not just meet the stipulations like in that ancient Near Eastern treaty? God also provides his son, you ready for this? To become a curse for us by breaking the stipulations. That's why Jesus would hang on the cross, and that's why he would say, he who hangs on the cross is cursed. That's why he would hang on the cross, and he'd cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because of everything you've broken about the law of God, the curse that we deserve, he poured out on his son. It's incredible. When it comes to this ancient Near Eastern treaties, there's one thing I didn't tell you that's how they actually signed the deal. It's pretty cool. They typically, they'll typically take an animal and there'll be a treaty between, you know, two, two parties, usually a king and a vassal trying to find peace. And they will, they will divide up an animal and they split it in half and they would walk through. That's cutting a covenant. They would cut the covenant, the deal, by splitting an animal in half and they would walk through it. And here's what they'd say. If I don't keep this, may I become like these torn apart pieces of animal. Do you remember the story? Do you remember the story of Abraham? Do you remember the story when it got to this part of the deal that the animals were cut up and, and, and torn to pieces and there they were and Abraham didn't even have the strength to walk through them? That he, he, he fell asleep into a deep sleep and he sees this, this firing pot going between the broken pieces? It seems like a crazy story. What in the world is that all about? You know what it is? Listen, you got to hear this. It's basically God saying, when you don't fulfill the stipulations, I'm the one who's going to be cursed. I'm the one. I'm going to fulfill both sides of it. I'm going to fulfill your stipulations and I'm going to become your curse. You see, the good news of the gospel is that God's son would hang on the cross, absorb all of the curse that we deserve from our sinfulness and brokenness so that we could be blessed all because of his grace, all of his mercy. And that's the, the last part of that, is the blessings that, 
that we receive in Christ Jesus, the obedient son, the one who did the right thing, the one who fulfilled the stipulations, the one who became the curse, God's only unique, beautiful son, he who who is blessed by the Father for who he is and blessed by the Father because of what he's done. And Paul will say this about him in Ephesians 1, 3. And now in Christ Jesus, all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms are ours. All that Jesus has earned all that Jesus deserves, all the blessings, the love the Father has for him, he gives to you. He's going to treat you not like a, like a servant. He's going to treat you like a son. In Galatians 4, he's going to say, not just a, a son, but a co-heir in Christ Jesus. Listen, God's going to bless you so much that he wants you to rule and reign with God. Just having the peace of God wasn't enough. That's the depth of love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. And we realize what he has done for us. You see, Jesus and Jesus alone provides us the peace. Jesus and Jesus alone provides us the pardon. Let's go back to the Exodus. The Exodus in the Old Testament is like the ultimate story. But really, if you look at the ultimate story in the Old Testament of God's people in slavery in Egypt and being set free from this slavery and brought to the promised land. It's really foreshadowing Christ's coming. It's foreshadowing Christ taking us out of the slavery of sin and death and leading us to the promised land of being in relationship with God. It's incredible. And when you read the story of how God called Moses back, and he remember we read it in Psalm 103, he dealt with Moses in a way, don't forget, don't forget that, that Egypt thing. Don't forget what God did. And what did he do? Well, he went back into Egypt and through a mighty arm and outstretched power, he's basically saying, I'm going to mock the gods of Egypt. All those plagues that you wonder, what, what was the blood in the Nile all about? They thought the Nile was a god. What was the darkness all about? They thought the sun was a god. The frogs, they were gods. God was basically mocking all of the gods of Egypt, saying, I'm the only god. And then he touches what they would trust in the most, their firstborn son. But he says to God's people here, I want to provide for you a Passover. I want to give you an exemption here that you don't have to suffer like this. So what I want you to do is I want you to take a, a, a lamb that's spotless, and I want you to have this certain meal, and I, and I, want, you to, I want you to sacrifice this lamb. And I want you to take the blood, and I want, you to, I want to put you over the doorpost. And when the angel of death comes, he'll pass over. You say, are you kidding me? It's an incredible story of God's mercy of a Passover lamb that is going to provide peace for, for God's people. But it really was just a shadow of the ultimate Passover lamb that was to come. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 that Christ is our Passover lamb. He's been sacrificed for us. What God requires of us, God provides for us. We have a Passover lamb who was slain. And because he was slain, we live. Through his wounds, we are healed. Through his blood, we are cleansed. What goodness that God has provided for us. That's why you've probably seen the bumper sticker No Jesus, K-N-O-W. No peace, K-N-O-W. If you know Jesus, you know peace. No Jesus, N-O. No peace. If this is true, let's just hit pause. If it's true that God initiates with us peace, and if it's true that God is the one who's the instrument of peace for us, 
can you see how repugnant it would be for God for us to try another way? If God's the one who initiates and God's the instrument of it, can you see how repugnant it would be even if you said, no, no, I'm going to try to earn it myself? Can you imagine how repugnant it would be to say, well, maybe there's another way than Jesus. Maybe there's, a, maybe there's some other way, there's some other nirvana, some other pursuit of some other being or some other thing that I could find peace with God. That's why Jesus would say, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is no other way to the Father. There is no other way of peace. There is no other way of pardon except through me. And through me includes a cross where I'll set you free. And then lastly, our God's peace surpasses understanding within us. He not only initiates, he also is the instrument, but his peace passes understanding. Horatio and Anna Spafford had five children. They had four girls and one boy. Mr. Spafford was a successful Chicago businessman, but he was more than that. He was a devout follower of Christ. He lived in a time where some of his best friends were were D.L. Moody. And it was in 1871 that this successful businessman would lose most of his wealth in the Chicago fire. The Chicago fire would take most of what he had, but really that loss was nothing in 1871 compared to the loss he had in 1870. Because in 1870, his only boy, four at the time, died of scarlet fever. Spafford and his family decided to accompany D.L. Moody and others to England to tell the good news of the gospel, also to get a little bit of vacation, try to bounce back from the difficulties they've had. And they traveled from Chicago to New York City to board a a ship heading over to England. When he gets to New York, we're not sure if he was on the uh, ship or not, but he's called quickly back for some business deal in Chicago that he has to return. He puts Anna and his four girls on the boat. They sail for England. He goes back to Chicago. Nine days later, Horatio gets a telegram from his wife, Anna, that simply read, saved alone. A shipwreck had taken his daughters. Anna will say the last memory was a wave ripping them from my arms. Horatio rushed to New York, boarded the next ship to New York, sailed to England, was called to the bridge when they passed. The captain wanted to say, this was the spot. This is the spot that you've lost your girls. He would return to his cabin and he would write, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. He would write, when peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How in the world can it be well with his soul? There can only be a a peace that passes understanding. Here are our optionals. Horatio Spafford was delusional. He lost everything except for Anna. Or he was in denial. 
Or he found a peace, a peace in God that passes understanding. Jesus promised that peace. Jesus himself in John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace, God's peace I give to you. Not that the world gives it do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is Jesus. This is the one Isaiah said would come that would be called the Prince of Peace. This is Jesus, the one that Scripture says is the God of peace. This is the one who says, I'm going to give you my peace, the peace of God, and this surpasses understanding. This, this when, when the world doesn't make sense, when everything is bottomed out, when, when your life is upside down, when you can hardly breathe, when everything that you thought was secure is gone, it's a peace that passes, surpasses understanding. Paul will write in Philippians 4, I'm going to pick up in verse 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, who is that Prince of Peace. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace is the one who gives us the peace of God in Christ Jesus alone. You know what that's telling us? You know what that is? That's good news. It's basically saying this. No hell on earth trumps the peace of God in Christ Jesus. No hell on earth trumps God's peace. God promises the peace. He promised it. God delivered us peace. And Jesus is our peace. Do not forget his many benefits. Do you have that peace? Are you trusting that peace? You know what I love about this? There's so many things, but that even, even God's peace isn't secured by me and you. It basically, let me say it this way. God's peace, you know, God's peace doesn't depend on you. Never has, never will. Let me say it again. God's peace doesn't depend on you. You may not feel God's peace if you're a child of God. You may even lose your grip on God's peace if you're a child of God. And I got to tell you, if I'm Horatio Spafford, I don't think I act that way. I put myself in my current situation with his stuff. I'm like, there's no way. I'm walking away, I think. I'm cashing it in. God hasn't called me to that. He said, no, 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 Jeff. I'll meet you where you are. It's not going to be your grip on my peace that wins the day. It's going to be my reality of what I have done for you. Forget not his many benefits The Prince of Peace has come. And he's come with the peace of God for you and me that are in Christ Jesus. That peace and pardon that we have today that will reign until we see him face to face. That peace that will trump any darkness that comes your way. Be of good cheer. God is for you. Be of good cheer. 
God loves you in, good, in Christ Jesus. Be of good cheer. Nothing will separate you from the love of Christ in Christ Jesus. Our God reigns. Let us pray. Father God, only you can initiate the peace that we need with you. And only you can accomplish that peace. And only your son could do it. We thank you that Jesus was able to, to keep the stipulations that you rightly set before us as a holy God. And we thank you that Jesus not only kept the, the stipulations for us, that he and he alone is the Passover lamb. That he was sacrificed, the curse was placed upon him so the blessings of God could be placed upon us. And we can sing and we can know, even in tears and in darkness, it is well with my soul because of what Christ Jesus has done is doing, and will do. I thank you that our peace with God is not contingent upon our behavior, not contingent upon our strength, but completely secure in the work of Christ Jesus. Completely secure in the promise of God through the Prince of Peace. God, rain down your peace upon your people so that we could sing, it is well with our soul. We pray in Christ's name, amen.